Hey, good morning, everybody. I am off mute now. That's always good. Um, you know, Danny was saying, uh, talking about the simplicity and the goodness of, of God, and uh, my message over this weekend here, if you want to tell all your friends and neighbors, is I'm going to explain the whole book of Revelation to you. What are you laughing about? That's going to happen. Actually, that is my topic this weekend, so um, uh, show up for that and you'll finally figure out what the book means because you didn't know until now, right? Um, Danny and Penny have been so good to us. Uh, every time we come here, I don't know if you guys know this, but what they do is in your uh, hotel room, they, somebody, I guess it's Sandy Hutchinson, she's, maybe she's the really nice one in the group. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I, I would believe that about Danny, not Penny. But uh, Sandy leaves this box full of stuff for my wife and I. And like Delaware County coffee mugs. I almost wore my Delaware County sweatshirt this morning. Um, and it makes us feel so welcome here. I, we just love coming here. We love the, the atmosphere, what's going on. And I know there are a lot of people at this conference that... Um, have actually operated in some of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, which is what we're going to talk about today. We've been talking in the last couple of sessions about, you know, what, uh, what happens uh, when you establish yourself in God's love, and what's the purpose of us being established in God's love, except other than just to enjoy it, and it's, it's complete wonder. But what happens is that you now have a foundation and by the way, I'm looking for my notes on my computer. Uh, foundation, there it is. We're establishing a foundation uh, for the launching of actual ministry. It's the only sort of legitimate foundation to do Christian ministry is the love and the grace of God. And so today, I believe that God wants to commission, recommission, further commission uh, promote. I saw as we were worshiping uh, God putting a, a, uh, an army insignia on somebody's shoulder. And uh, sort of in my prophetic dictionary, what that means is God is going to promote people to a new level of ministry, maybe a new level of responsibility. Uh, and I think that's going to happen this morning. So uh, I'm really looking forward to, to uh, uh, what, what God has in store for us later. I think there's also going to be a time of impartation for those of you who really want to operate more fully in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I think that uh, God is going to make that possible. And uh, so all that we've talked about thus far has to do with equipping the saints for the work of the service. It's, again, as I said last night, more than just about us. As lovely as it is to experience God's love, His acceptance, and His forgiveness, I have to say it's lovelier to give it away. But you cannot get those two things reversed. That's where the love deficit comes from. That's where the burnout comes from. Living in the waves of God's presence and His love is the power to release unheard of, untold kingdom ministry. And so that's what the last session is going to be about. So let's pray uh, before we get into it. Lord, I am so thankful for the Delaware County Vineyard and the impact they're having in this community. 
Um, I pray that you would enhance that today. I pray that you would add to it today. I pray that there would be individuals today, Lord, that would be um, commissioned, recommissioned, or promoted. I pray that there would be an impartation of your life and your gifts to people who've never experienced them before or at a deeper level of experience. And I pray, Lord, and above all things, that you'd be smiling and glorified and honored through all of this. And I ask that in Christ's name, Lord. Amen. Well, um, we talked about the first night about people who were moving in ministry in, uh, before the empowering presence or the, the full force of the love of God uh, sort of waved over them. We talked about Charles Finney, you might remember that, and D.L. Moody. Some of these names you've heard of, and if not, just know that these guys were just full of God and how their ministries changed once they learned about how to live in the love of God. They became more effective. Moody's statement is pretty funny. He actually says, I preached the same sermons. You might remember the quote from Thursday night. I preached the same sermons. I didn't change my style. I didn't change anything, but scores and scores and scores of people became converted. What was the difference? It was a day in New York City where he was overwhelmed by the love of God, the Spirit of God. You see, God doesn't just want to do that once to you. He wants to do it time and time and time again. In my life, I've had strategic times when God has blown me up against the wall, literally up off my feet against the wall, filled me with the Holy Spirit, and that's happened like six or seven times in my ministry. I don't think that was an accident. God knew I needed that. He knew I needed that empowering. He knew I needed to live in that love. And, and, you know, you need the same thing. You're no different than me. To do the ministry God's laid out in front of you, you need the same thing. And there's a deep connection between the love of God and the Spirit's power. We saw that, and we saw how that works. We began with this proposition uh, what, I want us to begin with this proposition. What is true of Jesus is true of us. Because Jesus, remember, is the perfect human model, even though he is God the Son. And this means that we can follow him into his ministry. This is a very basic tenet in the vineyard. Most of you probably know it. But what's true of him is true of us. And uh, I want to read a text to you from Matthew 3. And this is about Jesus' baptism. The moment Jesus came up out of the baptismal waters, the skies opened up, and he saw God's Spirit. It looked like a dove descending and landing on him, and along with the Spirit, a voice. This is my Son, chosen and marked by my love, the light of my life. What's true of Jesus is true of you. Now, if you know this verse contains the whole Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. Did you notice that? And we've been talking about Trinitarian love and how God wants to catch us up into that Trinitarian love, that furious love that runs the whole universe, that's at the center of all reality. God wants to catch us up into that and you look at Jesus' baptism, and you look at the participation of the Father and the Son and the Spirit, and you see that very thing. Jesus is a human being, being affirmed in that, all of that love. That's what God wants for us, and it's 
also where Jesus' ministry actually started that day. After that, you might remember, he was driven out into the desert to be tested by the devil. And he came back in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what God was doing at Jesus' baptism. And God loves Jesus not just because he did stuff, because Jesus hadn't done anything yet. Had he? Well, if you're a Roman Catholic, uh, traditional person, you believe that Jesus did turn dust into birds when he was 10 or something like that. Those are apocryphal stories. Here's where his ministry began. We don't have any record of Jesus doing anything miraculous or in the way of his commission until after this happens, after he's affirmed by the Father in his love. Now, think about this. I mean, it's your graduation party. There you are, and, you know, there are random people there that you know or you have acquaintance with, and then there are other people that you're looking for at any big event in your life, right? I mean, you're hoping they come. You're hoping you see their faces. Who are those people? Aren't they your mom or your dad? Maybe your very best friend, your spouse, somebody like that. I mean, and if, unless you see those faces, the event is not really an important event. You know, I mean, it's cool. I mean, you're graduating. It's, it's awesome. This is what was happening with Jesus on his baptism. The most important people, the most important persons in his life were present at his baptism. He had to be so affirmed. And then he gets this incredible gift. What is the gift? It's the Spirit. And Jesus is there just as you would be there at your graduation knowing that everybody that's really important in your life has showed up at your graduation. The whole Trinity showed up for Jesus. Wouldn't have been the same if they weren't there. And if you had that experience, you know how important it is to have key individuals in your life to be there with you. And Jesus had the best. That's how his ministry started. It started in affirmation. It started based on just love, not performance. It started with the most important people in his life being present. And that's what God's calling you into as a son or as a daughter. It's the same kind of ministry and, and same kind of basis that he wants for us. Many of you also know, because I'm sure Danny and Penny have taught this and others here, that Jesus didn't serve in his own power as God the Son. You know, Jesus served totally dependent on the Holy Spirit. And that's precisely how we're called to serve. And this is the reason he can be our model. Because as he had to be dependent on the Spirit for everything, the Spirit drove him out into the wilderness after his baptism. The Spirit led him back in all kinds of power, and then he started his ministry. And Jesus just submitted his entire life to God the Holy Spirit, the gift he got at his graduation party, if you will. He, he submitted everything to him, and he did everything he saw the Father doing. And it was the whole Trinitarian person of God that was acting in Jesus. And he became totally dependent on that. 
And so when somebody says, how can you think you can do the things Jesus did, I point back to the fact that Jesus became just like me so I could become like him. Boy, Jesus had a great plan. He was one human body on the earth at one time. How many millions and billions of people has he multiplied down through history that are full of the Spirit? And here's the tragedy. How many of those millions and billions of people had no idea what they were for? It's not God's plan that's messed up. It's amazing. It's multi-level marketing to the max. What a pyramid scheme God has set up. But some of us just don't play. We don't do it. God gives us all these things so we can give them away. And the power of his love is really formidable. Uh, you know, even human love is, is really powerful, isn't it? I mean, I remember when I was dating my wife at Ball State University over here in Muncie, Indiana. That's where we went to school. And um, I was a senior. She was a freshman. And uh, when we were dating and when we actually got into go, like going together, um, it, it was uh, a spring quarter, and I played on a D1 volleyball team at Ball State University. We actually went to the first two Final Fours in uh, the history of the NCAA for volleyball. And, and um, so pretty busy guy, practicing every day. I was driving an hour in the morning to do my student teaching at a little town south of Muncie called Newcastle. Some of you may know it. And um, uh, so I, I really like to go to bed early because I had to get up at the crack of dawn like Danny made me do this morning. And... Um, and, and I was dating this incredibly wonderful person at the same time. I made it work. Why? That's what love does. I'm talking about human love here. How much more powerful is the love of God if we're caught up in it? That sort of love creates people who are willing to be martyrs and Jesus, of course, went on to live a perfectly obedient life, and he laid himself out and down on the cross and died a sacrificial death. And he did that in the love of God. His graduation party marked it. I think God wants to give some of us an idea that he's with us, like Jesus experienced at his graduation. Same kind of affirmation, same kind of love, same kind of promise, same kinds of gifts. I don't know where you're going to end up. Jesus ended up on a cross, and he did it from love. Because as we said yesterday, love is sacrificial. There's a remarkable sequence of teaching in John's Gospel. If you have a Bible, you can turn to chapter 14. But I'm going to read portions of the text. Can't read the whole thing, but I highly recommend you do so when you go home from here. And I'll, a few brief passages to show you the sequence of the teaching, because this is John's biggest teaching on the Holy Spirit in chapters 14 through 16 in his Gospel. And one of the things he says is, As the Father loved me, 
so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. I guess that's what we've been talking about all weekend. How do you remain in his love? But the important part, as the Father has loved me, I have loved you. So that's the way it works. As Danny said before, it's not that hard to understand. It's a little bit harder to do. Uh, here's Jesus. He's teaching us that the love he received from the Father was poured out on the disciples. Same love poured out on his guys. And this is God's love. It's more powerful than death. Love we've been talking about all weekend. Jesus goes on. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Sounds familiar. Greater love has no one than this, but he laid down his life for his friends. He's referring to something there, isn't he? He's referring to what he's just getting ready to do. He's going to that tree. That. And he's going to lay down his life for his friends. You're among his friends. He's not just talking about the disciples there. He's talking about you as a friend. This is God. Now that's what I call affirmation. Would you let that sink into your brain just a moment? That God counts you as a friend. And because you're his friend, he lays his life down for you. I could go on that one for six weeks or so. Just thinking about that. And what it means. This is the sequence. We give away what Jesus gives us. Paul maintains the same idea in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, and that, of course, is where he talks about spiritual gifts, which we are getting to this morning. He gives an entire chapter to love, right in the middle of that sequence between chapters 12 and chapter 14. In chapter 13, ever been to a wedding? That's what they read. It's slightly ripped out of context, but what the heck? It's still pretty cool. If you love each other the way they, that Paul indicates we should love each other, that's great for a wedding. So I'm not saying it's a bad thing. What I am saying is what Paul was actually getting at here is the, the Corinthians were using spiritual gifts as merit badges. You know, they were using spiritual gifts as like, hey, look at me, I can prophesy, or I speak in tongues, and I am cool because of all that thing, and you're not so cool because you can't. And that was one of the things going on in Corinth at the time, and so Paul brings it back down to what we've been talking about all weekend, that oversimplified thing, that love thing. And so he throws this chapter about love right in the middle of his explanation about spiritual gifts. There is a reason for that. Spiritual gifts have to be exercised in the love of God if they're going to mean anything. So again, we see this, this joining together of the love of God and the power of God. It cannot be separated and called Christian. It has to be called something else, maybe occultism or mysticism or something. It can't be called Christian if it's severed from love because the two go together. God is love. And he communicates himself through spiritual gifts. And the spiritual gifts aren't to keep. They're for you to give to somebody else. What a plan. This is how it works. Can I read some of uh, this 
1 Corinthians 13, this is stuff that sometimes they don't read at the wedding. It's usually the next paragraph. But if I speak with the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I am only a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. Nothing. No thing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. There was an old seminary professor professor at Fuller Seminary named Russ Spittler. I don't know if he's still around or not, but he says the spiritual gifts are to be lubricated with love. Boy, that really makes sense to me. They're supposed to be lubricated with love and filled with love throughout. And I say all that to say this. I believe again that God wants to bring gifts and commissioning here today. Or further commissioning or promotion. You say, how many times are you going to tell us that? Until you remember it. You should be praying about it now as I speak. Is that, you want to do something with me today? So I can add to this? So I can go out there? I want that. Help me be open to that. This is not a seminar. This is an equipping training place. This is not performance. This is God preparing people for what they're called to do. That's what the whole seminar is really about. You know, spiritual gifts are called, as many of you know, charismata in Greek, and many of you know that charismata means grace gift, gracelet. And, of course, the charismatic movement and all that in the church, you've heard about uh, people who speak in tongues, right? That's really what people connect it with. But we know that it's much bigger than that, and we know all spiritual gifts, including the gift of administration, is charismata. The gift of martyrdom is charismata. So what does it mean? It means you don't do anything to earn the gift, just like you don't do anything to earn God's love. Super spiritual people are not the ones that get the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Many years ago, there's a, an author named John MacArthur that wrote a book mainly against the vineyard. And a um, good Bible teacher, I don't know what happened to his brain when he wrote that book, but um, he, no, seriously, he went really out of character. It's like he went crazy. Because the things he said didn't make, didn't make much sense. But he said, if the church was still getting those kinds of gifts, so they would have come to us first, meaning himself and his church and his brand of Christian. Danny, do you remember that statement? You see, that's precisely the people who won't give the gifts. It's, it's people like me, kind of dumb and happy, that get the gifts. People like me who just say, okay, I'll take that. I'm available. It's not your merit that gets these things. You see, we got to really dispense of that rumor because, and that lie because it's not true. And you disqualify yourself from being on the receiving end of these things just like you disqualify yourself from God's love. Boy, this is tightly connected, isn't it? And so open yourself and say, hey, it's not about me. It's about what God wants to do through me. Just tell yourself that because that's what it's about. 
These gifts are not meritorious. And they're not given to God's favor. Of course, I'm God's favorite, but... Are you disputing that? No. No, I know. You think you are, don't you? No, we do. We think we're the only person in the universe, you know. But we're not worthy, but we're the only person in the universe. Kind of a strange thing. They're to be given away for sacrificial reasons. The love of God never fails. We're told that in the same text in 1 Corinthians 13. It's the strongest force in the universe. This is the heart of power that we've been talking about in our seminar. It enabled the first disciples to turn the world right side up and die as martyrs. Jim Elliot. Some of you heard of Jim Elliot? He was a missionary in South America. And he and his missionary friends had, had a gift of martyrdom, I guess, because they reached out to the most violent tribe. In a, in a, I don't remember what part of South America. It was in the rainforest area someplace, which could be a huge landmass. But the people were called the Wadani people. And uh, they, Elliot and his friends died... Um, as martyrs, even though they had firearms with them. Here's what Elliot said. He said, I would never shoot one of the Wodani because I know what will happen to them when they die. And I know what will happen to me when I die. Charismata. You don't make those statements on your own. And then, of course, he and his friends were put to the tip of the spear. Remember the movie? Some of you saw it. They were actually martyred for their faith. And Elliot and four colleagues were speared. Um, later, the entire tribe was converted. Children of some of the martyred missionaries befriended a man named Minkay, I think is how it's pronounced. The children of the missionaries befriended the man who killed their father, brought him back to the States, developed a relationship with him. Minkay became, became a minister, and there was more conversion going on. A man named Steve Saint, his dad was one of the missionaries, and he became a heart, lifelong friend with another person who had murdered his father. The children of the missionaries went back, befriended the people that killed their parents and their loved ones, and they were converted. You say, what planet were they from? Heaven. Heaven had invaded earth. Yeah, they were people of heaven that live now. They were people of the future. That God inserted. That's who you are. You're people of the future. Just tell your friends that. Just say, I'm from the future. They won't understand, but it'll be fun for you to try to explain if they don't put you in one of those little white coats. Sacrificial love. There's a lot less sort of dramatic stories we could tell about this. Don't you love, you go to a conference, you hear all these dramatic stories, but it sort of misses your real life, you know, like, the, oh, yeah, that must, that certainly couldn't be true of me. But this woman was named Beulah Latimer, good friend of mine, She's passed away now, but she used to tell me, she said that she'd go down in the country in Kentucky and she'd pray and she'd sing and she'd worship. 
on her father, her grandfather's front porch, and there was nobody for miles around but her. And she said that, like D.L. Moody and others said, she goes, she told me that the power of God would come so strongly on her she would have to tell him to stop or she would die. It was one of those kinds of things, and that happened to her again and again and again. And you have to understand that it happened for a reason. It wasn't just because God loved Beulah, which he did completely. It's because she was going to be a school teacher in the inner city of Covington, Kentucky, for 40 years. She needed every bit of that. And it kept happening in ongoing ways. And I, has anybody ever taught in the inner city? You know what, you know what she was going through then? I mean, talk about problems. And this is back in the 60s and the 70s. And it was awful. But she stood in there and she uh, led tons of her students to Christ. And uh, she uh, taught in a school called John J. Carlisle in the middle of Covington. And, and, and she went and got kids in the morning and, and, and wrote, took them to school in her car. And she, she broke up fights between parents. And, and, and she taught kids who didn't want to learn kids who brought knives to school and guns and that was her reality for 40 years she did that if that's not sacrificial love you have to redefine the term for me Beulah right, toward the end of her life she was suffering from rheumatoid arthritis do you know what that is it is extremely painful and she the poor little thing she was only about 5 foot 2 and she was all gnarled up you know and I used to go visit her, and when I went to the rest home called Woods Point to visit Beulah, uh, I saw her in the corner in her little wheelchair. She had about 15 people gathered around her, and she was preaching the gospel to them. And then the people in the, in the Woods Point rest home, they said, you need to be the chaplain. So for the last years of her life, she was the chaplain gnarled up Beulah was the chaplain of that rest home leading senior citizens to Christ they never come to Christ but they did with her she was always so full of life I used to go visit her to make her feel better you know poor little thing she ended up counseling me it's gonna be all right boy she said you're gonna be okay just hang in there thanks Beulah that is sacrificial love. When I grow up, I want to be like her. And you see, these things go together, and God calls us into these situations, large or small, martyrdom or just self-sacrifice for others. I've never seen a happier person than Beulah. Oh, yeah, she had her moments, you know, of a little depression here and there, but just like anybody else. But my, my, what a woman. What a story she is. I tell about her all around the world. I was in um, Mozambique about 10 years ago, and uh, I met another guy that really impressed me. His name is William. I was doing a workshop. You know, I was at Roland and Heidi Baker's con compound there um, and, uh, in, in Mozambique, and uh, we were in this little, like, uh, tent area. There's about 50 people gathered in. It's a little rainy, and uh, so it's kind of close, and I was, I was teaching them about the kingdom and stuff like that. We decided to do some ministry. And uh, people were very responsive. The Holy Spirit came. It was dramatic. It was, it was really very cool. 
and uh, people were getting filled with the Spirit and all kinds of things. And there was this guy, William, that I, was, that I hadn't mentioned. I went by William, and I said, God bless you. And he, it looked like he'd swallowed an air hammer. He started going up and down, and then he fell, and he's, you know, all the attendant sort of things that can happen when God uh, comes dramatically, and, and your body responds to that. That's what, that's what was happening with William. And so I kind of looked at him, you know, and I went to the next person, and uh, by the time I made myself way around the little hut, again, about 50 people, so I'm weaving in and out of people, uh, I came by William again, I said, God bless you, same thing happened. And then a third time. Okay, right, I'm from the West. I'm skeptical. And I'm saying, that's learned behavior. Yeah, I've seen that before. You know, this guy just wants attention. And uh, felt rather smug in my, you know, assessment of the, of the thing. And then God spoke to me and pulled me up short just like that. He said, no, 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 Barry. He needs all the love he can get. He needs every bit of it. And I felt a little bit ashamed, and I, I was corrected, you know, and I'm so sorry. I went and prayed for him again. Same thing happened. <laughs> Later... I was talking to some folks. I said, yeah, I said, I pray for that guy, William. Man, he got blasted, you know, like again and again and again. And somebody said, oh, don't you know who he is? I said, no. Well, he's helped Roland and Heidi. He's planted hundreds of churches. He raised a person from the dead. And I sort of looked up to heaven and said, oh, God, I'm so sorry. <laughs> what a presumptuous person I am. You know, I'm teaching him in a workshop. He should be teaching me. But nobody knows who William is. You'll never know who he is. He's a little bit famous there, raising people from the dead. You know, you get famous. You get a little famous when that happens. Planting hundreds of churches, but we're not going to see him in a history book anywhere. And he was getting inundated with the love of God and the gifts of the Spirit and everything he needed to do what he had to do. You're no different than he is. You'll have a different experience, but you are eligible for all of that. No, no, you don't have to have the same experience. Have you heard me say that there's a common experience that everybody has to have? If you have, you should correct me, Danny. Everybody's different. Some of you will, though. You'll have stuff will happen to you. You'll say, I can't believe that happened to me. On the same trip, Heidi Baker and her husband, Rollin, were giving some messages. They have a big, in Maputo, they have a big orphanage there and big, you know, area like this it's just like open on all the sides and they have a thatched roof and a concrete floor and that's their church a little stage about down here someplace about this high and um, so Heidi's given the message her message was really interesting she had a big pitcher of water and a glass and she said you know I need to drink of the well of God's love to do anything. Kind of what we're saying today. And she says, so I, I need to go 
to the United States and do a bunch of conferences in a week. And so she poured the water and she drank down this big glass of water. Heidi's about five foot three. And she goes, and then I need to do thus and so. And she said something else she needed to do. She poured herself another glass of water and she knocked it back. And I'm sitting there going, she's going to float away. This little woman's going to throw up right in front of us. I'm sitting right in the front. I don't, some of you wouldn't come front. You think I was going to spit on you. But she did it again. And then she turned to the worship leader and she said, you know what? You're going to have to lead worship with me as we travel up to Pemba. And you need a glass of water. And she poured him a glass of water and she gave it to him and he knocked it back. And then she went around the room to various people who were doing things and you need this too. And so the stage was full of people that were knocking back water. They were drinking all this water. I was looking for the bathroom. Do you get what she's saying? It's a powerful illustration. It's what you need to do what you do. It's what we've been talking about. And it was on that meeting that she ended her message with this. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures said, streams of living water will flow from within him. And by this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Simple. Profound. At the same time. That's what I need. That's why I got knocked up against the wall so often. I didn't know I was going to be doing this for 40 years, but that's why I'm going to keep doing it. At some level, it's just the way it is. But you have to stay in the game. You have to stay. You have to go where the water's coming out. You have to, you have to prime the pump. You have, to, you have to be there. You have to show up. You have to know it. You have to know who you are. You have to know that you're loved. You have to know that you stand on solid ground before God. Oh, yeah, you have to repent of all that junk you do, and you have to come back and get cleansed. Nobody's saying that's out of the picture. That's definitely in the picture. You can't have a bunch of sin in your life and expect everything to happen just the way it would if you didn't have it in your life. It's one of the reasons God wants to get sin out of your life so you can be useful to him. He's not mad at you. He's not mad at you. He just says, that stuff's clogging up everything. It's clogging everything up. Get it out of there. Repent. Turn around. Come towards me so I can use you. Because you've got a purpose. You say, Pastor, are you talking about sinless perfection? I hope not because I'm going home if that's the case. I'm not talking about sinless perfection. I'm talking about a life of holiness where you know how to repent and you know where to go. So, if there's an obstruction in your life, you can get rid of it today. Repentance just means to turn around. It means you're going this way and you turn around and go that way. That's all the word means. And so you're walking away from God and you decide, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm walking towards God now. 
And in that decision process, you get power from the Spirit. The Bible says very clearly that God grants us repentance. So all you got to do is want it. And then you go, and some things I have to repent for maybe on a daily basis. But I never stop because it's a violation of my friendship with God. That's what sin is. And I don't want to offend God because I'm obeying him out of love, not fear anymore. And I know he'll receive me. The Bible says he'll never throw me out. But if I continue on a journey the other way, he'll honor that too. He will because he's given you that gift of choice and, and lots of things. I realize there are addictions and some things that get out of your control and you need help. I, I know that. So I'm talking about that sin that you do choose. And in my case, sometimes on purpose. And I know that God will receive me back. Do you know that? You see, because that is the process of staying in God's love. Repentance and renewal. Restoration and filling. And it is a lifestyle. It's a continuous repentance. Well, in my case it is. Some of you may be doing a little better. And, and, you know, you don't make yourself eligible by doing that. It's just something you do to stay in the wave. you got to stay in the wave. You have something to say about that. Malcolm Smith said, I cannot do anything for God, only from God. Does that make sense to you? So somebody says, I'm going to go take the nation of India for God, they're blowing smoke. If they say, I'm going to go take the nation of India from God, from his power, yeah, that's possible. Before we ask the Holy Spirit to come and we do some ministry this morning, I'm expecting that there'll be a time of extended uh, prayer and so forth, as we've had the last couple of evenings. Uh, I want to say that uh, I want to mention some things about spiritual gifts and what it's like when they come, particularly if you're new at this. Now, I was talking to Danny beforehand, and he looked around the room, he said, you know, most of these people, they know, they know about this stuff. So I, I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. But for those who are a little bit new to this, I want you to know how spiritual gifts feel when they come and what it's like when they come. So when it happens to you today, you'll be able to put your finger on it and say, okay. Because lots of times when spiritual gifts come to us, particularly revelatory gifts, pictures and, and, and visions and, and prophecy and words of wisdom, words of knowledge, those kinds of things that are mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 and Romans 12, uh, those kinds of things and many other places in the Bible as well. Those kinds of things, uh, they come like butterflies very often instead of like sledgehammers. You know what I mean by that? It's like they flutter. Steve Shogren used to call them flutterbys. They just flutter into your heart 
and then they flutter away. And if you're oblivious, you're oblivious. And so one of the things we have to work on in terms of receiving spiritual gifts is not that we make them happen. We just got to know when they come. And sometimes we're oblivious. And so that's why I say, this is how it feels. This is how they come. And if it's a review for you, again, I apologize, but I think it'll be important to some people sitting in this room. All right, uh, there's revelatory gifts. And um, revelatory gifts come, come like this. You could see it. Now, what I mean see it is somehow you're praying for somebody, let's say, you know, and you see a number or you, you see a sentence. Uh, you just see something. You see maybe that person being persecuted somehow. You see the person being rejected. Sometimes we see people as children, things that happen to them in their, in, in their childhood, and God wants to begin to work on that trauma, and so you see it. You see the picture, you see the phrase, you see the number, you see, and it means something to you. And you ask God, what does that mean? And usually there comes an interpretation, and you can go ahead and pray for that person. Sometimes you're wrong, you get the whole thing wrong. Because remember, spiritual gifts are not the Bible. They are revelatory, but they're not to the level of the revelation you read in the Scripture. Got to remember that. So you can be wrong. <laughs> in my case, really wrong sometimes. But you just learn to go for it. If, even if you're going to look foolish. And you learn to take a risk because of that. God loves that person and may want that person to have what you got. And you're the delivery person. You get the gift and you give it away. So you deliver it to their door. And you don't let fear say, no, I'm not going to deliver this package. But always say to people as you are delivering these prophetic words or these gifts, I think I hear the Lord saying this. Qualify it. Now, I know a lot of people disagree with that, but I, I don't. I think this is the way you do it. Because you're recognizing that, you know, you're not Isaiah. All right? You're recognizing you're not Jeremiah. And you're probably not going to get stoned if you get it wrong. Maybe, will, will they? No. Okay. All right. So you see it. You feel it. That is, maybe you didn't have a headache when you walked into the ministry situation you're in, and now you do. So you, you probably heard of that one. So I say it's, a, it's, it's sort of a, a pain that you're sharing with that person, God showing you, well, let me pray for your head. Do you have a headache? You know, because, you know, and so you feel it. Sometimes you feel it in a body part. You feel it like maybe your elbow starts hurting and uh, uh, you, you say, okay, is there anybody in this small group that it, it, their elbow hurts? And, 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 you know, many times there will be. And usually that's a signal that God wants to do something about the elbow. All right, so sometimes you feel it. That's how they come. The other thing is sometimes you, you say it. This is the really scary part. It's kind of like how I do all my speaking. <laughs> you just say it. talk to Robbie Dawkins and he says that's all his prophecies that's all that's how they come <laughs> he just says it I said better you than me because some of the things I feel like saying are just no so sometimes you just say it it just pops out I was praying for a guy years and years ago now and and uh, he was getting ready to move to to Nashville and he was asking God 
should I do it? Should I not do it? Have you ever been that indecisive thing? And I, so I went up to pray for him after the, after the meeting that we were both in. And uh, I walked up to him and I was going to pray, God bless you, Jeff. You know, I hope things go well and Lord bless him and stuff like that. I went up and put my hand on his shoulder and said, you'll be in Nashville in one week and you're going to find a house and it's going to be okay and your career is going to go forward there. And then I was so afraid because I just said it. And sure enough, he became a musician in Nashville and has a band now. This is many, many decades ago. And so sometimes you just say it and... um, I'm not saying you shouldn't use the qualifiers. I mean, afterwards, I said, I, I'm sorry. I didn't, you know, I don't know. It just came out. You know, so be humble. You just say it. And sometimes you just know it. No pictures, no, nothing, no visions. It's like you see somebody walking toward you, and you just know they're in pain, or you know something about them. They, you, that that nobody ever told you. You just know. Follow that. Could be the way the Lord is wanting to help that person. He doesn't need you to do this. Isn't it cool that he lets us play? And, And that's the way he wants to do it. That's what the body of Christ is. It's the body of Christ. We're his hands, his feet. You've heard this a hundred times. We're his voice both corporately and individually. This is how God's decided to do it. I don't know why he's decided to let us play. I mean, just look at us. But he has. So we try to follow him and keep repenting when we get it wrong. Then there's power gifts. Obviously, I'm covering a lot of ground in 10 minutes. There's revelatory gifts and there's power gifts. That's the way I'm splitting them up today. The Bible doesn't split them up in any fashion at all. I know there are people who have these big hierarchies and stuff like that, but I, I don't think you need to do that. I, I think it can be helpful if you want to just systematize things. That's always helpful to some people. But uh, revelatory gifts and power gifts. Power gifts, there's like, you know, healing, miracles, you know, where somebody has a word of faith about a miracle and they see somebody's leg grow out or they, you know, they, they see a, a hand that's all bent up, straightened out, and, or they put their hand on a goiter and it goes flat. I've seen all those things happen. Not, I didn't pray for all of them, but I've, I've seen them happen. And so, yeah, it's like a miracle. Something has changed. It was one way, now it's another way right in front of your eyes. It's incredible. And it also includes exorcisms. The, the word for miracles in the New Testament is dynamis, and it actually is where we get our word dynamite, and it was usually used in connection with casting out devils. That's the start of the word. Then it it blew up to other things as well as miraculous healings and and so forth. But that was the original term and how it was used. And, and, uh, you know, I I saw a couple of these things happen in an encounter I had with a guy uh, over in Norway. I was there with a team, one of Wimber's teams, in the late 80s. Uh, and and uh, th- this fellow was brought to us. It was between meetings. I was with Steve Shogren's part of that team, and we were in, in, in Norway, and um, Steve, and Steve was one of the team leaders in the Wimber group, just to straight clarify what I'm talking about, and it was break time, and so we were off. Let me just tell you something. There is no break time. You just think there is. There's no Miller time here. <laughs> 
because <laughs> you don't know when you're going to be interrupted. And so we're down in the break room, we're having tea or something like that, and, and uh, a whole group of Norwegian men came walking in, and they had this guy, I thought they were going to lynch him or something, they had, they had this guy, and he looked really sad, and they walked up to me, I'm the only guy <clears throat> that they saw on the couch, the two team members were there, but they were standing behind the couch, you know, having a beverage or something, and the guy said, you will, you will help him. And I said, me? I'm a junior, junior member of this team. Ever feel that way? And they said, no, he needs help. And so I began to pray for the guy. And he manifested a um, really violent demon. Apparently this guy had been uh, a relatively famous singer in, in Norway. I mean, he had great voice and a lot of recordings and stuff like that. And then he accepted Christ and he couldn't sing anymore. His voice locked up when he tried to sing. He couldn't, he couldn't do it. He could talk, but he couldn't sing. And so when I began to pray for him, it was, uh, it was a demonic thing, and so the demon started manifesting, and one of my team members, who was not helpful at all, kind of receded into the background, looked at me from behind the couch, and went... <laughs> yeah, it's helpful, you know. Thanks, where are you? You know, where's Steve? Where's Wimber? You know, what am I doing here? And so I just did what they told me to do in training. I just said, you know, use spirit or whatever. I can't remember what I called it. It was really profound prayer, I'm sure. Um, but this guy just let out this scream. It was like the exorcist, man. It was like dramatic. I use these stories because they're dramatic. You know that, just for effect. But he screamed and this spirit left him and they began to talk and later he began to sing so as a gift of miracles um, it was uh, casting out a demon and all, all wrapped up into this, this complex so some of the, these gifts happen in combination sometimes and so power gifts will come to you in various ways that's one of my most dramatic stories I don't see a lot of that kind of stuff some guys see tons of it, you know. Uh, but I, yeah, I think God's shown me just enough about these gifts to be able to teach sometimes. Uh, you know, it's, it's like not an everyday occurrence for me. You get like, there's some people that have it. It's more often than others. But, and, and that's the thing about the gifts. I mean, God decides you don't. Don't, don't try to be like somebody else. It's, we all tried to be Wimber in the early days, remember? That wasn't happening. Here's a guy that gets 27-point words of knowledge. It's never happened to me. So uh, take it and understand that you're meant to operate at the level God tells you to operate in. Don't limit God. I mean, go for it. Expect everything. But understand that you can't let gift projection happen to you. Right? Do you know what gift projection is? It's when you allow somebody to project their personality onto you and you try to be them. Or somebody teaches in a setting right now, maybe they're teaching about faith and they project their faith onto you. I believe for this, 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 and this, and this, and it all happened, and so therefore you should too. Not necessarily. Everybody's got a different sort of thing going on that God has tailor-made to who you are and what you're for. I don't think... 
we can overemphasize that because a lot of people just get disappointed when they're not Wimber or they're not Penny or they're not somebody who moves and all this stuff all the time. And God does not want you to be in that place of disappointment. He wants you to be just trying to keep up, trying to keep up with him. And I do say that there's a lot more than you've experienced so far. I will tell you that. That's for certain. So, revelatory gifts, how they come, power gifts, usually there's just a surge that seems to run through you. In my case, when I taught, prayed for that guy in Norway, it was just a surge of fear. But I knew I was supposed to do it. I've prayed for two uh, uh, babies who passed away. Why did I do that? Because Jesus told me to. So, uh, no, neither one of them was raised from the dead. Otherwise, there'd be a lot more people in this room and I'd be really famous. But you just go ahead and do it. See, that's what I'm trying to say. You just go ahead and do it. If you're the person on the spot at the time, you're the most likely candidate that God will use. Do it. Take a little bit of a risk. Go off the high board. You say there's no water in the pool. God will put the water in the pool. Or not. But you've got to go off the board, right? You have to go off the board. Things have to change in the way we're operating in our lives. We have to stand in the love of God in a way where we're priming the pump. And let me give you a personal theory before we do some ministry. Because I believe there are a group of people that are going to benefit from this this morning. Um, that gift of tongues, you know, the very controversial one that everybody talks about, and Pentecostals say if you don't have it, you, you're not filled with the Holy Spirit. Some Pentecostals say that. Um, and it's just become a lightning rod everywhere. And uh, so I want to talk a little bit about that gift, if, that gift, if I might. I think that it is... This is personal theory, okay? Do not go say, Barry told us this out of the Bible because it's not in the Bible. Do not. But here's my personal theory, and I've seen it again and again and again as I've gone through the, the world and I've gone through this country, and that is this, that when somebody speaks in tongues, other things are set off. Have you ever been in a meeting when somebody speaks in tongues and then there's three prophecies? And they say that's the interpretation of the tongues. No, it's not. Interpretation of tongues is probably worship to God, and at least the New Testament seems to indicate that this is worship to God and, and that sort of thing. What those prophecies are is that something has been stirred in the Holy Spirit and people are getting other gifts. I think that's what's happening. And when you begin to speak in tongues, I never did figure out why all these people are praying for each other and they're all speaking in tongues below their breath, you know. Now I get it. Because things come. So I think it's a really good gift to have. Do you need to have it? I know people who move in great power that don't speak in tongues. But if you can get it, why not? I think a lot of good things can, can happen. I think that... Maybe Danny and Penny might agree with this, that, that tongue stirs up stuff in us. 
it puts you in a cloud of prophetic sort of things. The cloud of God just comes and suddenly your head's in that cloud and, and, and you're stirred by it. Just get around a lot of prophetic people and you'll, you'll, you'll see the same thing. It's because God wants us together and he wants us doing ministry together. 